You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to take them and turn to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Not often we preach out of Leviticus, not often I have, and then we'll be in Romans chapter 1, and we'll let you turn there in a moment. And the title of the message today, Is It Okay to Be Gay? And uh, is it okay to be gay, or is it okay to stay gay? And we're talking today in this, in this series on sex and intimacy, we're dealing with the subject of homosexuality. And I want you to know something, in our day, it has become a very, very big issue. And there seems to be more pressure than ever that the church would begin to conform a little bit and begin to embrace and understand. I want you to understand this, though, before I say anything else. I absolutely, positively want you to hear what I'm about to say. I get tired of people who call themselves Christians who are marching on the streets with signs saying God hates fags and and some of the things that we see today. I get tired of that. I'd love to say to those people, you embarrass me and you embarrass everything that our Lord Jesus Christ stood for. And I want you to know something. In all my years, I'm 56 years old. I have, I've had opportunities to befriend, to, to uh, befriend uh, people of the homosexual community, gay and lesbian. And, and I want you to know this. I have never been unkind to one of them. Never. At no time. Uh, my responsibility as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ was to try to talk to them, to try to share the love of Christ, try to reach out to them, and somehow to penetrate and pierce that heart with the gospel. And, and I want you to know something, you will never, and we will never do that if we are going about with a mean spirit and, and an attitude that, uh, that I believe is contrary to a Christ-like attitude. God does not like mean people. Last night or, or this past week, Sunday night when, when we heard about Gina being killed, I got up, went back to the bedroom, and Sheila came back there and embraced me, and I just wept. My heart was so sad. I love Gina. Sweet, precious, homeless person. Sheila looked at me and she said something. As she held me, she whispered in my ear. She said this. She said, and I want to tell you something, folks. This is critical because some of us can't say that. She said, you were never unkind to her one time. It was easier to be nice to Gina than it was to Jim. Jim could be cantankerous. But I want you to understand this too. Yesterday my heart was saddened as I heard that news. I'm going to miss Jim. But I want you to know something. I was never unkind to Jim, not one time. And you and I will never win anybody to Christ. And I don't care what lifestyle they're living. I don't care what they're coming out of. We will never win anyone to Christ with a mean spirit. And all God's people said... Amen. So I want to encourage you to get involved in the lives of those people who are living contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Begin to talk to them about Christ. Share the love of Jesus Christ. Do everything that you can to to win them to Christ. But at the same time, this mean-spirited attitude that we see is contrary to everything that Christ stood for. Now, today in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, 
Levitical law here. This is, this is Moses, as Moses trying to give the Hebrew people, the covenant people of God, some guidelines. And in Leviticus 18.22, he's very, very frank here when it comes to homosexuality. He says, Do not lie with a man as one would lie with a woman. That is detestable. I don't think it could get much clearer than that. But I want you to go over to the right, to go, to, go to Leviticus 20, verse 13, because he, he elaborates on this again. In Leviticus 20, verse 13, he says, If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. Now, in this day and in this time, Moses was very clear. They must be put to death and their blood will be on their own heads. I want you to know something. They also put to death an adulterer. They also put to death a parent, a child that would uh, strike a parent. So there were a lot of things in Levitical law that carried a death sentence. Now I want you to take a right and I want you to go over to Romans chapter 1 because Paul also speaks to this. In Romans chapter 1, Paul also addresses it. So go all the way over to the New Testament there and look at Romans chapter 1 and let's pick up at verse... Um, Let's pick up at verse 26. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, listen to what Paul says here. He says, because of this. Now what Paul is talking about is men and women and those people who are hearing the gospel, they're hearing the gospel, but they are suppressing it. The picture here in the Greek is somebody, it's like a, it's like a man reaching and drowning somebody else, pushing them under the water. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, these are people that are suppressing their pushing down the truth. And he goes on to say in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural affection for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, were inflamed with lust with one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and they received into themselves the due penalty for their perversion. In verse 32, he ends by saying, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord, and may the power of your Holy Spirit speak to each one of us. And I pray, dear Lord, that this is such a sensitive subject, and Lord, I want to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, dear Lord. I ask you to cleanse me, to forgive me, to remove anything in my life that in any way would hinder your spirit right now. And Lord, I pray that people would understand very clearly, dear Lord, uh, an area of, uh, of disobedience that has embraced our society. And I pray, dear Lord, that we would do it with grace, but dear Lord, we would also do it with honesty. That, dear Lord, you would speak through your messenger. And Lord, we will give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. First of all, I want you to understand, I've, I've had the opportunity to counsel people in the homosexual lifestyle. And uh, I want you to also hear me here. I have seen people who have come out of that lifestyle and gone on to live a normal life with normal, in a, in a marriage, many of them have married, many of them are not only married today, have children. 
So I believe that God has the power and the ability to set any man, any woman free of any kind of bondage that they might be in. And I want all God's people to say, Amen. And that wasn't very strong. I want you to say it very clearly. Amen is a response to this truth. We serve a God that can set people free of any bondage that they may be in. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, if you and I don't believe that, then my friend, we are in trouble. God can set people free. And so here we have an here we have people that are caught up in a bondage, in a lifestyle, in a form of sexual perversion or addiction that is affecting their lives. But I want us to look today at what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. How does God view it? How should we as believers view it? And what can be done? And I want to say to young parents here today, next week I'm going to be talking on the subject of what went wrong. In other words, if there was a problem, then what went wrong? And what can we do as parents to ensure that this is not a lifestyle that our children will embrace? Now, first of all, is there such a thing as homosexuality? Yes, there is. You know, the world is always... Have you ever noticed how the world is always changing sin? The definition of sin? You know, today, adultery is called cohabitation, living together. We don't... Uh, with Alcohol, drugs chemical dependency. And even in the homosexual lifestyle, isn't it interesting that they call that gay? You know, I've known a lot of people that were in that lifestyle, and I want you to know something. By far, most of those people were in bondage. Most of those people were not happy. Most of those people were gravitating from one relationship to the other. And if gay is, is a sign of being happy or being fulfilled, they were anything but gay. But that's the problem with our enemy. Your enemy and my enemy, the devil, will do everything that he can to kind of rename sin, to kind of excuse it or take off the edge. You know, I could call cancer. I could say, you know, well, I'm just going to change the name of cancer, uh, of cancer to honey bun. I think I'm going to start calling cancer honey bun. I can call it whatever I want to, but my friend, I believe you me, the consequences of cancer will not be changed at all. And so it's important that you and I understand our enemy. Now, God's Word is clear. If you look at Leviticus 18, verse 22, or chapter 20, verse 13, or Paul in Romans chapter 1, 26 and 27, and verse 32, and if you look at Paul, Paul mentions it again in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He mentions it again in Galatians chapter 5. Homosexuality is a sin. Now, I want you to understand this today in our government, and our government's infringing so much into the church that this, today, the growing threat that people can say, well, you know, we'll just close down Southside. Because we're just not going to have that kind of preaching in pulpits today. But homosexuality is sin. Unlike marriage, it can never be a picture of God's relationship with His bride, the church, Jesus and His bride, the church. It will never reflect that relationship. Romans, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 22. You know what God told Adam and Eve? He said, listen, I want you to go out. The first command of Scripture, you know what the first command of Scripture was? I want you to go out and I want you to procreate. I want you to multiply. I want you to replenish this earth. But I want you to know something that can never be ha that will never happen in the life of a homosexual couple. They can't they can't do it. A lot of people would say in our society today in our culture that people are born that way. I remember one time counseling a lesbian. And as I was talking to her, she made this statement. She said, "Well, I was born that way." 
I said, well, I was born uh, an adulterer. I said, I was born, I began to talk about all the sins. I was born a liar. Nobody taught me to lie. I knew how to lie. You see, we are born in sin. The Bible says that we are sinful. And so we have a sin nature, and the Bible talks about that. But a lot of people, what they mean by that, when they say we're born that way, what they're saying is we've just, there's been a genetic malfunction. Something went wrong in my genetics. Something went wrong in my genetic makeup. Something went wrong in that process of my development. But whatever it is, God just made me a homosexual. Well, I want you to know something. If that is true, you know how many homosexuals I saw in Zimbabwe? That many. I didn't see one. None. I don't, think it's, I don't think it is that. I think it's culture. I think it's society. I asked a couple that were in the, involved in the homosexual lifestyle, a couple that I was counseling with. I said, what, is, what, are, what are you trying to do? What is your agenda? And both of them said this. We are trying to turn you into us. They made no bones about it. And I want you to know something. People that get caught up in homosexual lifestyle... The problem is so often in their life there's such a level of acceptance that they are intent in bringing that lifestyle to the point that you and I will embrace it. God will not and we cannot either. Do we love them? Yes, we do. We love them just as Christ loved any other person. So the Bible identifies homosexuality as sin and a choice. Now secondly, let's look at this. What happened or what went wrong? Biblically, let's you and I take a moment and let's, let's go back to some of the things that we've learned in this series on sex and intimacy. We said this, first of all, God gives us passion. God gives us an appetite. God gives us a desire. I eat because I'm hungry, thank God. Because imagine if I, did, if I didn't eat, I couldn't live. So God says, hey Jeff, I'm going to make this thing of eating enjoyable, so I'm not only going to give you this passion, I'm going to give you this desire, I'm going to give you this pleasure while you're doing it. But then we said this, God not only has a passion, He not only has an appetite, He gives us those appetites, those desires. A man looked at me yesterday and he was asking me a question and finally he said to me in counseling, he said, Brother Jeff, is the appetite wrong? I said, absolutely not. Now we were just talking about good, healthy appetite. The problem here is, is the passion is, is promoted or propelled by, by a pleasure that it brings to us, but then there are perimeters, you remember that? God gives us this passion. God says, I'm going to give you pleasure as you fulfill this passion. But then God says, but I've got some perimeters. I've got some boundaries. And as long as you and I are in those perimeters, within the boundaries of God's Word, in the boundaries of God's law, God says there'll be happiness, there'll be joy. You will be gay, but not that way. But then our enemy comes along, and what does our enemy try to do? Our enemy tries to pull us outside the perimeters of God's law. Our enemy says, listen, you think it's fun in there, you ought to come out here. You think it's a good time in there, you ought to come out here. You see, that's the way the enemy's always been, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When he told Eve, he said, listen, Eve, he said, I can tell you this much, God is trying to treat, cheat you out of a good time. Man, God, listen, God is, just, God is just not with it. You need to go over there, and if you'll take of that tree and you have the knowledge of good and evil, then you will be like God. God's trying to cheat you of a pleasure. But my friend, I want you to understand, you and I have passion. That passion brings pleasure, but that pleasure is that, that it's all guided by the perimeters of God's law. 
Once we move outside the perimeters, then the outside there, it becomes a perversion. And that's the problem. The enemy will always move you and I outside the perimeters of God's law. How? With our appetites. And he will seek to distort it or to twist it. The word pervert means to twist. Let me give you an example. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago about the woman, the heaviest woman, the largest woman in the world today. And they did an interview with her. Here this woman was literally, she had eaten herself to the degree that she could not even function. It was gluttony to the, to the, to the extreme. And as I listened to her story, it was a sad, broken life. She didn't listen. She was in bondage to her eating habit. She was living her life outside the perimeters of God's law in the realm of gluttony. And I I thought to myself, there was probably a time when she looked at somebody who loved her and said to her, listen, you've got to get control of your health. She probably said, I can eat what I want and as much as I want, leave me alone. Yet in the end, she's destroying her life and the people who love her. You see, that's our enemy. Sin is a slippery slope. You've heard me say a lot of times, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And our enemy knows that, and so he will move you outside of the perimeters of God's law. And once he does that, he will begin to develop perversion. It's now, listen, what was once a, what was once, listen, a passion, what was once a pleasure, is now outside the perimeters of God's law, and it becomes perversion. And that's what your enemy wants. That's his agenda. James Dobson shares the story of Ed Meese, who was the attorney general years ago did a report on pornography. And in the 1980s, under President Reagan, they were warning this nation that we were on a slippery slope in the, in, in the realm of pornography. That the Supreme Court and those judicial uh, branches of our government that were allowing people free expression and allowing people to be able to just print and produce whatever they wanted to was going to carry a high cost. James Dobson said he'll never forget. If I remember, he said the first report when he went into there and sat down in this Ed Meese, the Attorney General of the United States, as they gathered to study this thing of pornography. He said he was watching, and all of a sudden they began to throw that porn up there. And then he said he watched as it got more violent, more violent, more violent, more violent. And finally it showed a blonde-headed little boy. He was shooting basketball outside, outside of a garage, outside of a driveway. And the next picture was that blonde-headed boy hacked up in a garbage bag in a trash can. And it was talking about how critical it is that this nation understand the high cost of pornography and the crimes and the things that can be done once people move down that slippery path. You see, your enemy wants to, literally, he wants to take a pleasure. He wants to take something that ought to be joyful. And within the, listen, sex is a beautiful thing and God brings great pleasure out of it. But he puts it in the perimeters of his law. What is it? It's marriage. And once we, between one man and one woman, Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 19. He said it is one man, one woman. When God placed them in the garden, he said Adam and Eve. 
They were uniquely different. And in the Hebrew, it's the picture of two puzzle pieces that are coming together. They just fit. But your enemy doesn't like that. And your enemy will take sin and he'll, he'll try to move you outside God's perimeters. I wrote this down. It's a natural progression. Once sin moves an appetite outside God's perimeters, we begin to lose control. You say control of what? Control of sin. We're under the control of sin and we're under the control of Satan. Let me take you back. Go back to Genesis chapter 4. I want you to see this. Look at Genesis chapter chapter 4 because this is important for all of us here today. In, G- in Genesis chapter 4, you remember we looked at this a few weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 4, when God was dealing with Cain, do you remember Cain would go on and commit the first murder? In anger, he would take the life of his brother Abel. But look at chapter 4 verse Chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord is telling Cain. The Lord is pleading with Cain. You know, I wish somebody last Sunday could have known ahead of time what Robert was going to do. This homeless man that took the life of Gina. Imagine if we knew what we know today. Imagine how we might have gone to Robert and said, Robert, listen, you need, to, you need to straighten up. You need to get a control of yourself. A member of this church said, I spent 20 minutes with him last week. He was already under the influence of alcohol. And that man said, if only I had known. Well, God knew what Cain would do. Listen to what he says to Cain. In verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But watch this. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Now watch this. It desires to have you. Now look at what it says here. This is critical, but you must master it. My friend, I want you to know something. Sex within the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman is a glorious thing. But once it moves outside the perimeters of God's law, it becomes a very dangerous thing. In fact, the Bible says it's like taking coals and putting them in your lap. Hot coals and putting them in your lap. You see, an appetite, once it controls you or I, listen, it begins to affect, and and hear me here, In fact, I wrote this down. Anything that controls you or I other than the Holy Spirit is a sin and will put us in danger. Before or, listen, saved or not saved. If any sin, if any appetite begins to, listen, sex, God says, hey Jeff, there's sex, you can have it, man. It's a great thing. You can do it as much and as often as you want with Sheila. You just have a great time. You can replenish. You can procreate. You can uh, fill this earth. But God said to Jeff, He says, Jeff, but if you take it outside of Sheila, if you move it outside those perimeters, if you begin to do that, you'll distort what was intended for good. You'll begin to pervert it. And Jeff, I can tell you this much, there is a heavy cost to that. If you do not keep sex within the boundaries of your marriage, if you move it out here, get caught up in pornography, begin to watch things you shouldn't watch, begin to put things behind, begin to flirt around, begin to get involved in other relationships, begin to toy and do this before long, Jeff, you will pervert what I meant for pleasure, what I meant for good. And once you move outside here, Jeff, it'll control you. I've had men, many men look at me, caught up in an affair, many men caught up in pornography, and they would look at me, many men that have been caught up in drugs, many men that have been caught up in alcohol, and look at me and make the statement, I can't control it any longer. 
And I'd say, are you a Christian? They said, absolutely. I can tell you exactly when I was saved. My friend, that is a dangerous point in the life of any believer. Once sin, hear me, this is critical. You you may not need this, but you need to be a better counselor to other people. Once sin becomes an habitual, open way of life, once sin becomes a lifestyle, you're in danger. No true child of God can live in willful, defiant, public disobedience. You understand that? Let me give you an example. Funerals have become the worst thing in the world in the Deep South. You go to a funeral, buddy, and man, that preacher's just preaching. It don't matter. They could be just as, it don't matter who they are, man, a preacher's just preaching them right on into where? Right on into heaven. That preacher, listen, a lot of times he's compassionate. He means well, and what he'll do, he'll, he'll be trying to reach out to that family and those people that are hurting, and he'll begin to say things that he doesn't know, that he is not sure of, but he's trying to console them. He's trying to coddle them. My friend, listen, there's been many a man or woman, the only gospel they were ever going to hear was in a funeral service, and they had a preacher that was coddling and pushing and just confronting and comforting those people. Listen, right on into hell. I tell you, a funeral is a great place to preach the gospel. And it's a sad place so often in the deep south because some people, some preachers preach that if you've ever been baptized, listen, baptism doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. Some people say, well, if you've ever filled out a membership role, if you don't remember, look, we've got some membership cards there on that front pew. They mean absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God. The only thing that means anything in the kingdom of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you washed in the blood? Membership doesn't mean anything. You could be dunked in that water up there a half dozen times and that not mean nothing. I was in a funeral service this week and I wanted to scream out in the middle of that service. I looked over at Reggie and he was just shuffling and moving his feet. I could see a man of God getting angry. I just wanted to cry out as, as someone was preaching the word. I just wanted to say, yes, and belief behaves. Belief behaves. Paul spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talking about belief, talking about doctrine, talked about being saved and sealed under the day of redemption. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, he said, hey, if you believe, you'll behave. My friend, hear me. Jesus said in Luke 7, 21... He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things? And Luke 6, 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I have commanded? In Luke chapter 7, verse 21, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father. You are saying, listen, why is this so important? Please stay with me here. I'm going to give you three reasons why sin cannot be a lifestyle in your life. Now listen. If you're living a homosexual lifestyle, I want you to listen very closely. If you're a drunkard, I want you to listen very closely. If you're an adulterer, I want you to listen very, very closely. Because I want you to understand this. The Bible says none of those will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to listen. If you're a coward, you won't go to heaven. If you're a liar, you won't go to heaven. You say, well, Brother Jeff, what does that mean? People who can live a lifestyle of disobedience... 
they need to take a long, hard look at whether they're saved or not. This is not popular preaching. I'm going to prove this right now. Three things that will happen in your life and in my life if we try to make a sin a lifestyle. Okay? Now, they, what, I'm, what I'm saying is this. If you try to take a sin and you just say, you know, this is, God, this is the way I am, and you start telling everybody else, this is the way I am, this is the way I was made, this is the way I'm, you know, this is the way I was meant to be. If you try to take a sin and make it a lifestyle, I want you to stay with me. I'm going to give you three reasons why that's impossible in your life if you call yourself a Christian. You ready? Number one, there'll be war in the heart. In Galatians chapter 5, I want you to go from Romans. We're in Romans there. I want you to go over to Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this. I want you to stay with me. This is critical because God may be calling you to confront people that are living in a lifestyle of defiant public disobedience. Okay? Number one, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, there'll be war in the heart. So what are we saying here? Listen, first of all, if you, have, if you say, I've got this problem, it's just the way I am, and you've accepted it and made it a lifestyle. Now, we're not, we're to, right now we're talking about homosexuality. There'll be war in the heart. Now, already we've shown that it's, it's contrary to Scripture. It's a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Now, in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, Paul says this, So I say, watch this, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For, now watch verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this, when you and I bring any sin into our lives, all of a sudden, are you staying with me here? All of a sudden a war starts raging in here. Okay, it's not that we don't sin. We try to sin, and what happens? We get a war raging inside. We begin to think, you know, I shouldn't think that. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't have said that. God, I'm, I, I know I'm wrong. See, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to bring, we're trying to bring sin. We're trying to bring sin in here, and the Holy Spirit's living in here because this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And listen, all of a sudden there begins to be a problem. There's war. I remember years ago, Amy, when she was a baby, when she was real small. She would take her head, she'd sit down, and, and if she got mad, she'd bang her head against the floor. And then she'd start crying. Well, she got where she always had a bruise right here. I mean, all the time. You're strong, defiant. You know, and at first we'd get, you know, she'd like, oh, don't do that, don't do it, please don't do that. And, you know, sure as she said that, she's going to do it again. Until she finally figured out, you know, this hurts. I mean, she did. I mean, she kind of got smart. You know, I thank God today she's a dentist, but, you know, she kind of got smart. She thought, you know, this hurts. So finally there came that point that she quit doing that. Now, I want you to know something. She quit doing it because it hurt her. You and I, we, we, listen, we're going to sin. We're going to make mistakes. But listen, as we try to make it a lifestyle, as we begin to make it a practice, as we start move, moving into, a form, into it becoming a habit into our life, the truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit's living here. There's such war going on in this thing right here. We can't stand it. It hurts too bad. Just can't do it. Number two, there's discipline. Take a, take a right from, he, from uh, Galatians and go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, take a right. Go over to Hebrews chapter 12 because I want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5, there's not only war in the heart, but there's also discipline. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5, Paul said this, And you have forgotten that the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those what? He loves. And he punishes everyone that he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Now look at verse 8. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons of God. Let me tell you what happens to me when I sin. You sin. I try. Let me tell you what happens to your pastor when he sins. When I do something wrong, and I know that it's wrong, immediately... There's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, there's war raging inside of me. I'm just, oh, I'm starting to get, man, my blood pressure's inching up. I'm, I just realize, man, this is not right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't, boy, I mean, I'm under conviction. Secondly, if that doesn't do it, I get ready. Get ready. You know what's getting ready to happen? Boy, God's gonna, God loves me too much. He says, Jeff, I can't let you live like Jeff, you're trying to suppress, you're trying to beat down my Holy Spirit. I can't let you do that, Jeff. So you know what God does to me? You want to know what God does with me? You ever seen your dad pull the belt off? And God begins, God begins to discipline me. My friend, listen to me. God loves me so much, he won't let me live like that. So God now begins to discipline me. He says, Jeff, I can't let you live like that. You can't do that. I mean, before long, God and I are doing a merry-go-round like me and my mom used to do when I was a little boy. You know, I'd be trying to get away from him. She'd be holding one hand and just, just swatting me with that switch. God loves you and I too much to let us live in habitual, willful disobedience. Thirdly, Removal. You see, first of all, God allows war in the, in the heart. I try to sin, I do something wrong, God sends war in the heart. All of a sudden, man, I'm, literally, I'm under conviction. If that doesn't work, God begins to discipline me. Things begin to go wrong in my life. Things are not working out the way they used to. I'm not enjoying the blessings of God. Let me tell you what happens. When you and I get outside the will of God, we start living in sin, you won't have the protection of God, you won't have the provision of God, and you won't have the presence of God. You'll pray, you won't feel God nowhere near you. Why? Because he can't... Listen, he's a holy God. He says, be holy, and I'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. But listen, you've got to be holy. You've got to live a holy life. You start living an unholy, sinful life, uh, a lifestyle of sin, then listen, God can't draw near to you, he can't draw near to me. So there's war in the heart. There's discipline. God says, I can't let you live like that. But finally, there's removal. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. Watch this. In fact, just go from Hebrews. Take another right. Go over to, go over to 1 John. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. You ever heard this term? Listen to this. Sin unto death. You ever heard that? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, listen to what John said. He said, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, what is he saying here? What is he talking about sin that leads unto death? Let me give you an example. You take your child to a birthday party. Okay, before you go in there, you tell them, so, now look, we're gonna, this is going to be a lot of fun, going to have a good time. 
But you get there, boy, and it's no time before that little, that little monster is just, man, he is wreaking havoc at this birthday party. I mean, he's tearing open presents that are not his. He's slapping other kids up against. He's pulling girls' pigtails. I mean, he's doing everything wrong. He went over and stuck his finger and wiped it across the cake. I mean, this kid is a monster. And mom, mom, listen, mom said, now listen, you can't, you can't act like this now. You get over there and you act right. She, she even took him outside and wore his little fanny out, buddy. But nothing made a difference. Man, this kid's just absolutely a nightmare. So finally mom says, come on, come on. We're going on. You're not going to embarrass me like that anymore. So I'm going to take you home. Let me tell you what God will do if you and I are living a lifestyle of disobedience. He loves us too much. If we can, if, if conviction won't do it. If conviction won't do it. You hear me? You listening? Nod your head if you're listening. If conviction won't do it. If war in the heart won't do it. If the discipline of God won't do it. You know what God will do? God will say, come on, let's just go on home. Come on. Just come on home. That's a bad way to go to heaven, isn't it? So when we get to these sins where people say, well, this is just the way I am, it's the way I was made. Listen, this is the lifestyle. My friend, I want you to know something. You can't be a believer and live a lifestyle of disobedience. You just can't do it. Because Jesus said this. You remember him saying, if you want to take a strong man's house, if you want to take a strong man's house, you've got to first do what? You've got to bind that strong man. You know what Jesus said? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul said. And before God will allow sin to come in, and co- listen, God will never let sin cohabitate in your life. He'll never do it. You say, well, Brother Jeff, I've got some areas of disobedience. That's right. And I do too. But I want you to know something. I'm not simply telling everybody, hey, this is the way I am, and, 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 and I've just accepted it, and I'm just, I'm just feeding that. No, my friend, I'm under such conviction. I can't live like this. I'm under the discipline of God. I can't live like this. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm scared that God may take me out. Now, I want to say something as your pastor. If I drop dead now, okay, there is not an area in my life that I'm living that way. You see, I've declared war along with the Holy Spirit on sin. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9, it said he hated wickedness. And that's what I try to do, hate wickedness. So once sin takes up residence. You know, I was traveling years ago, and I was in, we were, we were going in villages around, around Zimbabwe. I had never met anyone that had been a polygamist. I'd heard there were people that practiced polygamy, but I didn't know any of them. I finally met, I finally got to a village where they practiced, where there was a man there that, had, that was a polygamist. He had two wives. I want you to know something. First of all, both of these women looked like they were mad. Man, look, I, I mean, I, still, I was still struggling for the, with the language, you know. I was coming up to that village, go, go, go. That means knock, knock, knock in their language. Because they don't, you can't go up and knock on the door. They don't have no doors. Go, go, go. I make my way across there, and I came up there, and I began to talk to them. Man, I was just smiling. And boy, them two women just sitting one on one side of the door and one on the other. And I said, Baba, 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 Varikupi, where, where's, where's, the, where's the man of the house? Where's Baba? 
Well, I got to meet Bob, and I found out that both of those women were his wives. I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. And I want you to know something. It's the only home, it was the only home in Zimbabwe that I received the coldest welcome that I'd ever received. So I went back and I thought, you know, that'll make a great illustration. So I was back in a high-density township in a place called Chitanguiza. And I was preaching there in Chitanguiza, out in Unit O, Jeff. We were out in some of those areas. And I was preaching in Chitanguiza, and so I, I began to talk about it. And I asked those women, I said, you know, I've only met one person that practiced polygamy. I said, let me ask you this. If your husband came home with another wife, said, you know, I got me another wife. I said, what would you say? All those African women looked up and said, Burai, Burai. And they said it just like that, Budai, Budai. What they were saying was, go away, get out of here. I want you to know something. You know what the Holy Spirit says when you and I try to bring sin in and we just want to make it and we want to coddle it, we want to conform to it, we want to listen, we want to bring it into our life and say, this is just the way I am. This is a lifestyle, the way I was made. This is it. You know what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you and I when we try to bring sin into our lives? Budai, Budai, go away, go away. John MacArthur said this. He said, to illustrate the degrading passions that rise out of the human heart, he's talking about Paul in Romans chapter 1. He said, Paul uses homosexuality, the most degrading and repulsive of all passions. In their freedom from God's truth, men turn to perversion and even inversion of the created order. In the end, their humanism resulted in the dehumanization of each of them. Perversion is the illicit and twisted expression of that which is God-given and natural. Homosexuality, homosexuality, on the other hand, is inversion. It's the expression of that which is neither God-given nor even natural. When man forsakes the author of nature, he inevitably forsakes the order of nature. Charles Hodge said this. He said, Paul refers, listen to this, ladies, Paul refers to the degradation of females among the heathen because they are always the last to be affected in the decay of morals and their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue is lost. You know what most cultures, you know what most, you know every culture in Africa, places I'd go, you know how they see homosexuality. They see it as a perversion, it's unnatural, it's abnormal, something wrong. You know, I can be up under my truck and I can be working something, maybe something up under there won't quite break loose and, and I don't have time to go get a hammer. And you know what I'll do? I'll have a, I'll have a, I'll have a, I'll have a channel locks or i have something in my hand. I'll use that for a hammer. Listen, but the man, the person who designed that channel lock never intended for it to be a hammer. And if I continue to, continue to use it as a hammer, it will destroy what the original intent of the one who designed it. You know, I could stuff food up my nose. I could stuff food up my nose. I might get some iner- I might get some nourishment. But I want you to know something would be really painful in the process. And it would not be what God intended, God's design. Homosexuality goes against what is natural and what God intended. And there's a lot of pulpits today that are not preaching this. But I want you to know something. This is critical in our day. Just because our society continues down this slippery slope doesn't mean that we have to simply embrace in order to be accepted. I don't care if I'm never accepted. I don't care if this church closes. And if they stop me from preaching in this pulpit, I preach on the street corner. Paul 
Paul said this. He said, once we... You stay with me and we'll close. I'm getting ready to close. Paul said, God gives us pleasure in, in those passions, but God gives us perimeters. One man, one woman in marriage. Once we move outside those perimeters and we get out here, my friend, I want you to know something. We can wander all over. And the farther we wander away, the deeper, more perverted it becomes. And so our, our enemy knows that. And he'll entice you. He'll pull you farther and farther and farther away. And he's doing it a lot today in a lot of young people's lives. In the African-American community today, where nearly 70% of children are born illegitimate without a father in the home, homosexuality is on the rise. I'm telling you, it is a critical problem. And it is dangerous when you and I begin to live a life in open, defiant rebellion against the perimeters, the guidelines, the law of God. There's a high cost to be paid. A few weeks ago, Gina, who was killed in this murder last Sunday evening in the property next to us, I was introducing on a Wednesday night the subject of Abaca. And I said, we're going to have three weeks in, on Wednesday night, we're going to be in Abaca. Jenna would always sit right over there. She'd always sit over there and she'd come with her Bible. She was eating soup and she'd come to our prayer meeting. After prayer meeting, Gina would always come. I call her Jenna. Some people call her Gina. But she would always come over here. She'd come, she'd come from right back over there, and she'd come down here. She'd have her Bible, and she'd stop, and she'd smile real big. Sometimes she'd hug you. Sometimes she'd hug me, and then she'd go out that door. I was getting ready to start a short series on Habakkuk, and she had read ahead. And so I was sitting in my office one day, and she would come up, sometimes she'd get a shower downstairs, sometimes she'd pick, get a sack lunch. We would minister to her, and she was always around the property. And so and she came up one day, and Heather came into my office. She looked real troubled. She said, Brother Jeff said, uh, Jenna wanted you to have this, this note, this letter. I said, well, thank you. We had always gotten along. We were real close, just really friendly. I just had a heart for her. I opened the letter. And it began to talk about Habakkuk, and it was alluding to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is about a prophet who, who is struggling because God is getting ready to send the Babylonians in, and they're going to take care of they, they wiped out the Assyrians, and they're getting ready to take the Jews into captivity. They're going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. They're going to take the kids into, I mean, they're going to take them into captivity. I'll, I'll, let me move real quickly. And so she wrote in this letter, and in fact, the letter troubled me so much that it, it just, I couldn't, I mean, it just weighed on me. I got, I called Sheila, I was really upset because I, I love Jenna and I said, I, I don't know, have I hurt her feelings? Have I, have I made her mad? I mean, it really troubled me. I mean, it caused me some real problems. Heather saw me. I was real upset about it. And this is what she said. She said, Brother Jeff, like God delivering the Jews out of their sin and out of their bondage, he's going to have to do it violently. She said, Brother Jeff, God is going to deliver us violently. I thought she was threatening me. <laughs> but after she was murdered last Sunday night, maybe she knew more than this pastor thought she knew. And as I sat there just thinking over that sermon and getting things ready for today, 
I thought about that's the way God always delivers. He delivered us violently. It's called the cross. People that are delivered out of a lifestyle of sin and oppression and habit, my friend, it is ugly. You watch the homeless when they go without their alcohol. You watch people when they come off their drugs. You watch people when they come out of anything that the enemy holds them in bondage. It is violent. But it's deliverance. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and Lord, we pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would wrap your arms even around us again. Lord, that you would remind us that we're loved. And that, dear Lord, if there was one in this room that, dear Lord, is living in bondage, held in captivity to whatever it may be, whether it's sin, whether it's some kind of form of sin, whether it's alcohol, drugs, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be some kind of sexual perversion outside of marriage, whether it be pornography, whatever it may be. Father, I pray today that they won't fight that war in the heart. I pray, dear Lord, they would see the discipline of a loving Heavenly Father that says, I can't let you live like this. That for some in this room, they may be even close to death. God may have to take them on home. There are others in this room, dear Lord, that they're not a Christian. The reason they don't have any control, the reason that they don't have any deliverance from the bondage that they're in is because, Lord Jesus, you are not what I just said, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring a spirit of deliverance not only in this church and in this congregation, but to this community. Lord, I thank you for things like Healing Touch Ministry and Anthony as he's training and equipping counselors that can take Celebrate Recovery. We thank you for these tools, and they are, they are powerful, but they are only as powerful as when they are indwelled and empowered by your Holy Spirit. We can't set anyone free until they cry out and look up like the old prodigal and say, they come to themselves and say it's time to go to the Father. So Lord, speak to us. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man, woman, boy, or girl who's never given their heart, their life to you, they're living in bondage, they're living in that perversion, that twisted life, whatever it may be, I pray, dear Lord, today that you would set them free. How? By a simple childlike prayer that says, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living this way. Lord, I'm tired of being in bondage to sin. I ask you to come into my heart. Oh, to set me free. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.